Hey there. It's so great to have you here with us today. One Chapel is a family of neighborhood churches in Lake Travis, and we help people move from where they are to where God wants them to be. You can learn more about the things God is doing in this community and how to get involved at OneChapel.com. I hope you enjoy this week's message from our Who Am I series. My name is Logan Schwant. I'm the youth and children's pastor here at One Chapel Lake Travis. And I'm so excited to, to be able to share the message. This is our last week in the Who Am I series. We've gone six weeks now. So this is number six. And it's been great. Has anybody else enjoyed this series? Right? This, this has been challenging down to the core for me. Like, there have been so many things that have just like, okay, how do I really believe on this? And, and we've been able to host a Who Am I group in our home, and, and it has been so good, the discussions and the, the vulnerability that this has opened. Because identity is something that we are all struggling with. We are all on this path, and we are all in, in the midst of, of who are we, and who do we allow to shape who we are. And then some of us are dealing with, you know, who... What, what happened when I was a teenager that's still affecting me now? And we just have all of these different aspects of identity. And we've talked about five really awesome things, right? Who am I when I don't measure up? Right? Kind of in the insecurities. Who am I when I'm insecure? You know, who am I when I'm compared to others? Right? Do I spend a lot of my time comparing myself to people with more money than me? Or people who are, are not as good as me, so I feel real good about myself? You know, who am, who am I in those situations? Who am I when I feel alone? When I'm lonely? Who am I when I've failed? Who am I when I'm not happy? These are some of the things that we've been talking about. And, and as I was looking at these five topics, I feel like all of them can kind of like, almost like you're looking for an answer in all of those, right? Like, who am I when I'm not happy? Well, I'm going to look and, and try and you know, figure out ways to, to be happier. And, you know, who am I when I'm alone? Well, I'm going to try and figure out ways to be less lonely. And, and who am I when I'm insecure? Well, I want to be less insecure. But this week we're talking about who am I when I'm with my family? And there's some things about family that you just can't change. Right? And I, so I think this is a little different today. This topic is a little different, but it affects all of us. Because for some of you, when I say family, you're like, man, I love my family. I'm, I'm blessed. I have a really good family. And there's other you, of you who it feels like a knife. And it hurts. And you don't want to think about your family. So these are some of the things that we're going to talk about this morning. And so if you would, in, turn in your Bibles to Genesis chapter 1, verse 27, it says this. So God created mankind in his own image, and in the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. And God blessed them and said to them, be fruitful and increase in number, fill the earth and subdue it. Right, this was the original family with Adam and Eve. And it's interesting because from day one, God says, I want to bless you and I want you guys to go and fill the earth. This is the original family that is going to multiply to the ends of the earth. God wanted to see this family grow, right? But, the, but, but as time went on, right, as sin came into the world, all of a sudden family wasn't just this perfect little thing in the Garden of Eden. All of a sudden family became a little bit more dynamic and a little bit more painful and a little bit more interesting. And, and one of the things about family, right, is we don't get to pick, right? There's a lot of people in here, you didn't get to pick your parents. Some of you have great parents. Some of you do not. Some of you were born into wealth. Others of you were not. Some of you were born 
you know, a certain way that gives you more advantages. Other of you were born another way that gives you disadvantages. And there's, there's, there's trials and things that we have to face in this world just because of our family. And that's not even talking about how you were raised and the things that actually happened to you as a kid and all of those things. So, so families are very different, right? For instance, me and Haley. Haley and I have incredibly different families. Number one, her mom is total type A personality, go-getter. She'll knock anybody down. Like literally when, when I messed up and broke Haley's heart, her mom went up to my dad in Farm and Fleet, which... I don't, does anybody know what a farm and fleet is in here? Anybody? Okay, all the northerners know what farm and fleet is. Everybody else is no. Farm and fleet is pretty much like a tractor supply store. And, and, and some, her mom walks up to my dad in farm and fleet and looks at him and, and says, like, do you know how much of a jerk your son is? And starts ripping him to pieces right there. In farm. Like, she, like, you don't mess with her mom. Like, her mom will come and get you. And, 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 and she's just, she is, she is the leader. She is the, the powerhouse right and 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 she's she's very dynamic very extroverted and 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 so is my dad so my dad is kind of similar to her mom but then her dad is super passive and super quiet and shy and that's how my mom is right so so we have some similarities but if we dig a little deeper if we dig a little deeper i was blessed my parents have been married i, I should have thought of this a little better for like 36 37 years now they've been married i grew up in a wonderful home at two awesome sisters, older sisters who, who loved the Lord with everything that they were. And, and we had very, very few things happen from the time I was zero to 18 in our home. Haley was born into a family. She had one older brother. Her parents got divorced at the age of seven. She began living a very split life. She didn't understand. She had different men in her home, and she didn't know if she should call them dad or not. She hated going to her dad's house because, you know, she, her dad had a wonderful, a wonderful lady that, that he was dating, and, and then that lady passed away suddenly, and, and it was totally heartbreaking for her. And then her dad remarried into a family, and her dad pretty much said, hey, this is my family now, and, and, and you know, like now it's, it's lucky to get a birthday text. Um, and, and, and so our families are very different. You know, Haley was raised by her mom in a broken home. I was blessed. You know, so families can really impact our lives. And families can impact the journey that we have. But there's one important thing. We can't choose our family, but we can choose how we respond. We can't choose where we are, where we're placed, but we can choose what we do about it and how we allow it to affect our lives. So that's where we're kind of getting into. You know, we're all shaped in one way or another. We're shaped by, maybe by the presence of your family or the lack thereof presence of your family. We are shaped by family in an incredible way. And, and as a youth pastor, this is kind of sad. Kids don't know what a family is anymore. Because to me, if I look at the Bible, the family is a man and a woman as husband and wife, and they have children, and their home is one. If you go and ask a kid what a family is today, you will not get the same answer. You know, in our youth group alone, you know, there's a lot of brokenness. There's a lot of kids who don't, they don't even know because their parents are split. They don't even know. There's this dynamic where the family, the family model has changed and, and kids 
kids don't even have that basic instilled idea of what a family is. And a lot of us have had to walk through that as well. So family is something we care deeply about. It's something that's written inside of our core. Your mom is your mom no matter what your mom does, right? But, but it affects us and it shapes us in a lot of different ways. So some of us are looking for hope when it comes to family and some of us are looking for answers and I hope, I hope I can address some of these things here this morning. Um, but the book of Ephesians, in Ephesians chapter 3, the whole book of Ephesians really talks a lot about this dynamic of family. And, and if you sum up two words in, in, in the book of Ephesians, it really is in Christ. We see over and over and over again the Apostle Paul say, in Christ. And, and we see the book of Ephesians talk so much about the home. It talks so much about children, husbands, wives. And it talks so much about family. So in verse 14 and 15, it says, For this reason I kneel before the Father, listen to this, from whom every family in heaven and earth derives its name. So I, I, family could be really painful for some of us. But there is hope that family is, is in the end, it comes from the Lord. Family is something that God has created and brought forth, and it's His design. It's his design. Some of us are not walking out his design in our families, right? Our culture is not necessarily walking out his design in our families. But the mentality and the heart of family comes from the Lord. It comes from the Lord. No other environment in our lives shapes our identity more than our family. And that's why it's critical for us to understand God's pattern. And God's image for families. Deuteronomy says this, 11, 18 through 19 says, Fix these words of mine in your hearts and minds and tie them as symbols on your hands and bind them on your foreheads. Teach them to your children. Talking about them when you sit at home and when you walk along the road and when you lie down and when you get up. Listen, what God is getting at here is that family is entrusted to shape and to mold and to be a reflection of God's design for families. That's the purpose of families. The mother and the father are supposed to love their way in, the, in, in, in a way that represents the way that God the Father loves us. And that's the image and the purpose of families. But, but, a lot of us have fallen short in that area and a lot of us have been influenced by others who have fallen short in those areas. So let's look at some ways. How does our family influence our identity? Because a lot of you, I'm not speaking to a bunch of kids right now. You know, a lot of you are like, well, I'm, introduced, I'm influenced by my family. Now I'm, I'm here. I'm 40 year old and I'm here. Like, I can't change who my family is. I can't change. So, so I'm, we're, we can't necessarily address, we can't necessarily address those aspects. We can't change your family dynamic right now in this instance from when you were a kid. But what we can do is we can give some teaching points to parents who are parents right now in this current time. And I want to bring in some hope and hopefully reveal some things because there may be some areas where we struggle. And we're not struggling it necessarily because there's something wrong with us, but we're struggling it because it was one of the ways that we were shaped and maybe we need to allow the Lord to come in and reshape us. So here's three application points. And this one, I love this one. Your spouse shapes your identity. They do not define it. 
Okay, there's like this little American dream slogan kind of a deal that your spouse completes you. Right? Who's heard my spouse completes you? Who's probably said that? I have said that before too, right? That, but but it, when we look at what that really means, and, and, and as a youth pastor, I want to say that this is influencing the next generation because they're looking for somebody who completes them. They're looking for somebody who, who, who fills in all of their flaws. And they're looking for somebody, because if, if your spouse completes you, then I am not complete until I am married. And, and if we have that perspective that I am not complete until I am married, then we are looking for our completion from the person sitting next to us who is not perfect and who is not the Lord and who is not somebody who's really created you and really created you to be everything that you are called to be. And we are actually settling for something that is probably less than what God wants us to settle for. So our spouse does not, our spouse does not complete us. But our spouse helps shape our identity, right? A lot of you, if you're married, you know that you're very different than your spouse, right? A lot of you may think, you may have thought for like the two years of dating and honeymoon period, you know, you guys were exactly the same, and it was just going to be easy love. But then you realize that they push the toothpaste up from the middle. And you don't know what is wrong with somebody who pushes the toothpaste up from the middle. Or, or they put the toilet paper on where it goes over the back, up against the wall. And you're always like having to dig it out. And it's just really annoying. And you just don't understand. You don't understand these things. And, and, and then, you know, like, here's, here's what my wife would say. I don't understand. We have a laundry basket. Why can't the clothes just go in the laundry basket? Like, why is this such a fascinating idea? I don't know. I just like to, I like to put them next to the bed. Why can't there be a laundry basket next to the bed? Right? There's all of these things. Right? We realize that we're different. We realize that we're different if we're just looking to complete each other. A lot of times we can start to wonder, well, you do it this way, I do it this way. Maybe we aren't meant to be together. Your spouse is not meant to complete you. What actually happens is that you probably start out really different. And if I were to bring some people who have been married for 40 or 50 or 60 years up here on stage, you know, they would probably give a testimony of how maybe they started out really different, but they grew together. And they grew closer and closer and closer together. Right? And maybe they don't necessarily fully complete each other, but they use their strengths to be one. And it's amazing how God can take two people who are very different and turn them into one. Right? He tells us in Ephesians chapter 5 that a man needs his wife. Right? I need Haley. I'm just, I'm just saying, like, she, she is the most amazing support for me, like, I'll come home after a really long day, and she'll just be like, what can I do to make your day better? And, and, and she was gone for the last three days at a, at a conference, and I'm like a lost puppy without, because, like, you know, I have to make my own meals. I have, I have to, there's all this, there's all this hard work. You know, I have to drive to Taco Bell and get food. <laughs> right but in in all reality my wife my wife really you know she knows she knows how to support me and 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 for all of all of our relationships in here 
you know, for the husbands, the wife supports and helps and loves in a different way, right? So we each can give a testimony. But, but what she does to just help me, she is my, she is my assistant in, in so many different areas that is not her job, but she just walks into it and loves me through that, and it helps me be a stronger man because of her service and because of her love. Right, that, that, is, that is who she is to me. She's a support to me in so many different ways. And that helps me be a better man. Right, and, and then in Converse it says, Husbands need to love their wives like Christ loved the church in Ephesians chapter 5. And listen to this. I love what the Message Bible says in Ephesians here. It says, the way Jesus speaks to the church, listen, this is what he says. His words evoke in her beauty. So husbands, how do we speak to our wives how do we speak about our wives right because our job is to help shape their identity to help push them into everything that they are and we want to evoke in her beauty what we say the things that we say about her what what do we say we don't criticize right we've all learned not to criticize we've all been in the doghouse for that but we can evoke in her beauty and speak life into her just like Jesus spoke life into the church. Your words do not define her in a way, but they can define what she thinks about herself. And we can evoke in her ability. So husbands and wives, we have the ability to affect one another's identity. And we directly have the ability to affect the question of who, I, who am I in marriage. We have that ability right now from this day forward to be able to say, I am going to build my spouse up and make them everything that I possibly can. Number two, God entrusted parents with the primary responsibility to help their children discover their identity in Christ. There's a reason that Genesis starts with a marriage relationship because he wants the, the, the beauty of the marriage relationship, the strength of the marriage relationship to be the thing that pours life into all of the children. And, and we're reading a book right now by Francis Chan. And it's totally a different, um, different context of where he takes this from. But he, he compares massage therapists to physical trainers. And I love this thought because I feel like right now in today, there's a lot of parents who are parenting their children like massage therapists. Let's just try and make you feel a little better. What can I do to make you happy? Oh, you're hurting here? Well, let me just, let me just try and make it a little better instead of like a personal trainer. We're afraid to actually challenge them and push them and coach them and teach them to live a healthy and a stronger life. We are entrusted to teach our children the values of the Lord. And we are, we are not called, I want to say this softly, we are not called to be our children's friend. We are really called to be their coach. For there's a time where you will become their friend. And that doesn't mean you can't be a coach and a friend, but we are called to teach them and to coach them in the ways of the Lord and to build them up and to help shape them. And here's, here's a strategy just that, that I'll give. I mean, I am 
I am not a parent yet. I am a parent to two little puppies. And, um, yeah, they're, they're getting bigger. But, um, but it is the same in training a dog. It really is. Wait. Wait for me here. Hear me out. Just, just give me a second. Successful parenting starts with consistency. Okay? If you come over to my house and my dog jumps on you and you say, oh, it's okay, I'm going to get mad at you. Okay? Because when I'm parenting my dog, they are not allowed to jump on you. But now all of a sudden they go somewhere else and now they're being told it's okay that they can jump on you. Right? That's a very simple example of a, way, a lot of a way that we parent. Right? We think that when some, our children does something bad, we're going to yell at them and then we're going to bring a Bible verse over them of, of why God says that you shouldn't do this. But really, in the longevity, we don't actually walk this out in our lives. So outside of the time that our kids are actually doing something bad, we're not actually, uh, actually showing them something good. So all of a sudden we are inconsistent and our kids have no idea what consistency is. And they're just running all over. Successful parenting starts with consistency. You can be a, a bad parent, but if you're consistent, your kids will turn out okay. <laughs> you can be a great parent and have no consistency, and your kids are going to be all over the place. Right? We don't need to necessarily know how to do everything, but if we're consistent in who we are, if we're consistent, our kids will feel that, and they'll feel our hearts through it. And they'll learn, right? We don't just parent when we need to yell at them. We walk them through. Hey, I want to I share my heart about this. I want to share my heart about who you're becoming. I want to share my heart and my vision about, you know, your wedding day someday. I want to I just talk to you about these and share what, what God really is and who you are as a child of Christ and who you are in these. I'm going to bring that all in. We coach and we train our kids so that they know who they are. And number three, identity is the key issue of your teenage years. I'm going to get a little scientific here. I read a BBC article this week from June of 2018 that looked at a bunch of different personality surveys and brain scans that were given all over the world. So there was like 15 different surveys in here, and there was like five different brain scan studies. I don't know how they do it, but supposedly you can figure out what somebody's thinking by scanning their brain. It's kind of crazy. But it was all over kids' teenage years. And the largest influencing factor on teenagers was this thing called neuroticism. Does anybody know what neuroticism is? I watched a lot of videos on how to pronounce that word. So if you say I'm pronouncing it wrong, I'm going to send you all the videos I, I watched trying to figure out how to actually say that word. But neuroticism is drastically formed primarily during the teenage years. Really like the 12 to 14 is a huge age where this is really formed. And listen to what this is. So neuroticism is a trait in many models within personality theories but there is a lot of disagreement on its definition. Here are some of the definitions. Listen to this. Some define it as a tendency for quick arousal when stimulated and slow re relax relaxation from arousal. Others define it as emotional instability and negativity 
or maladjustment in contrast to emotional stability and positivity or good adjustment. Others yet define it as a lack of self-control, poor ability to manage psychological stress, and a tendency to complain. Okay, all of you older generations, who would have ever said that you, you claim the millennials and the Gen Z identify with all of these things? Lack of self-control, right? This is, these are the things that we hear about the next generation, right? And it's, it's actually all, they, scientists are incorporating all of these things to this level of neuroticism in our children. And that's formed through the teenage years. Listen to this. Individuals who score low, score low in neuroticism tend to be more emotional, stable, less reactive to stress. They tend to be calm, even-tempered, and less likely to feel tense or to feel rattled. And to take that a little bit further, they're less likely to struggle with anxiety and depression. So what causes this? The cause of neuroticism to rise in our children is instability. The number one factor from outside of a child is divorce. And then you read down the list and it's things like abuse and things like that that add into that. And the other main factor is, is when they feel like they've done something that's caused them to be a mistake. So an action by the child that leads them to thinking that they're a mistake because of their action. So I hear those things, and I think that's all parenting. That's all how we parent our children. We have influence over the levels of chaos that happen inside of our teenagers' head by the way that we parent and by the way that we're consistent and provide love and safety for children. So I want to make a little shift here. We've talked about family. We've talked about some dynamics of maybe for current parents. But I feel like there's probably some people in here, well, I'm not a parent anymore. I'm not a kid anymore, so I'm not in my family. So what, where do I go? I have hurts. I have pain. I have these things from my life. But where do I go? Or, or maybe some of you are like, I don't have a family at all. How can I even connect to this message at all? And over the last six weeks, We've had, to, we've had to dig deep and to look at this, but this, this is something different, right? Family, family is something, it, it, it shapes who we are, and it defines us. All of us are defined by our family name. It's literally written on us. So what do we do when we don't like it? What do we do when it hurts? What do we do when we feel alone? What do we do when... We don't like the family that we came from, or we're not defined by it anymore. Or, or what do we do if I feel like I'm not in a family anymore? Well, I want to read this out of John chapter 1, verse 12. It says, but those who embraced him and took hold of his name were given authority to become the children of God. If we embrace Jesus, we can become the children of God. So there's a different family that I want to talk about here in these last moments, that is all about the family of God. And you may have been wondering why I'm surrounded by balloons up here. It's not just because I'm kiddie and wanted to talk about kids. But there's this image of these balloons that actually God has taught me more over the last six weeks of this series through these balloons right here on stage. 
than through any message and through anything else. You see these balloons on the ground. You know, these are just filled with normal air. Just normal air. This is, these are all the same balloons. The exact same type of balloons are up here, right? But this is just normal air. You see, if, if this is thrown down to the ground, it just falls to the ground. And, you know, when we come through and we kick these balloons, they just, they just fall back to the ground. And you come through, and, and a lot of us sometimes, this is what our life feels like. We just get kicked around. You know, I get kicked with failure, and now there I am on the ground. I'm being spread out here. Now I get kicked again, and I'm just, I'm just beat up. Now somebody comes through and punches me in the face. Something bad happens. You know, I lose, I lose my job. My finances aren't good, and I'm just, I'm just getting kicked around, and I just spend time, and I, I live in failure on the ground. I live, I live beat up. You know, but... But well, there's a change when we become filled with something. There's a change when we become filled with something that's different than what the rest of the world is filled with. You know, and now all of a sudden we have this balloon. You know, I can hit this balloon. You know, life can come through and knock it down. You know what, there's something about this balloon that is written on the core of who it is that no matter what happens to it, it's just going to keep coming back up. You know, there's an understanding in the core of this balloon that it has victory that this balloon doesn't have. You know, as we talk about this identity series, identity hits at our core. It hits at what's inside of us, and a lot of us live defeated. A lot of us live just to get beat and to get kicked and just get pushed around. So if anything bad happens, right, a lady at the grocery store, she gave me a funny look. You know what? And it ruined my day. You know what? That guy was driving slow on Highway 71, and I gave him the bird because I'm just so angry because I'm just so defeated. It doesn't matter what happens, right? It could be something little. You know, McDonald's gave me cold fries. That's a sin, But yet we're just defeated. You know, my kid told me they don't love me. We live defeated, but yet, but yet when we become filled with something, all of a sudden our lives change. You know what, you gave me cancer? Well, guess what, God, you're going to use that. I'm going to stand up again and I'm going to be victorious. My kids rejected me? Well, guess what, God? I know that you're faithful and you're bigger than them and you're bigger than this world. So I'm going to claim your victory. You know, I'm broken. I messed up again. I did the same exact sin. I fell into it. I picked up that bottle again. I went back to that computer. I went back to that whatever it is. You know, there's, there's, a, there's a, it's in your heart you see, because the only way that I can destroy this balloon, the only way that I can take this balloon down is to actually kill it. I actually have to destroy and to pop this balloon, but I'm not going to do that because I have second service coming up and I need it. But if I were to destroy and to pop this balloon, the thing that would happen is the spirit inside of it would be released and it would just go up with no more boundaries on it anymore. And it would go up and to live in its victory forever.
But you see, that's not where it stops. Listen to these scriptures. Ephesians 2, 19, 22. Consequently, you are no longer foreigners and strangers, but fellow citizens with God's people. And also, you are members of his household. You are built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets with Christ Jesus himself as your chief cornerstone. In him, the whole building is joined together and it rises to become a holy temple in the Lord. And in him, you too are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by his spirit. And listen to this in 1 Corinthians 12, 21 through 27. This verse is originally to talk about division and things like that. But I think it hits so closely on, on the people who are lonely, on the people who feel like they're not enough, on the people who feel like they're an outcast, on the people who feel like they don't have any gifts. Listen to this. The eye cannot say to the hand that I don't need you, and the head cannot say to the feet that I don't need you. On the contrary, those parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable, and the parts that we think are less honorable, we treat with special honor. Those who are less honorable, we treat with special honor. And the parts that, we, that are, unrep, are unpresentable are treated with special modesty. While our presentable parts need no special treatment. But God has put the body together, giving greater honor to the parts that lacked it. So that there should be no division in the body, but that its parts should have equal concern for each other. If one part suffers, every part suffers with it. And if one part is honored, every part rejoices with it. Now you are the body of Christ and each one of you is a part of it listen you are not a balloon that is by itself that can be thrown all over the place right maybe you understand victory but you're getting pushed side to side you are in a family and you know what you you work together these balloons get hit but you stay together you are not alone it doesn't matter what your physical family is because you have a spiritual family that has claimed victory over anything that you can face in this world. And you are never alone because no matter what happens, no matter how far I pull you apart, you are tied together with the rest of the body of Christ and you will never be alone. This is our identity. This is our victory. It's all about victory. Identity is all about Jesus and his victory. You are not defeated. You are not beaten. You are not a mistake. You are not alone. You are not a failure. You are a child of God that was knit together in your mother's womb by the very hand of God. And he put a destiny on your life. He put a purpose. He put a dream that only you can carry out. And he wants you to walk in the fullness of that. He wants you to walk in the fullness of that because that's who our identity is. So what I want to ask you this morning is, is, is what family are you a part of? Do you feel defeated? Do you feel broken? Do you feel lost? Do you feel alone? What family are you guys a part of? Because, because God wants you to be here. He wants you to live here. He wants to live in his grace and in his mercy and as his fullness and in his peace and in his victory. So if you would, would you stand with me? We're going to go back into worship here and we're going to claim this victory over us. And I feel... I feel like there may be some in the room who don't believe that they're 
in that family or who feel lost or who feel short. But I want to tell you that all you need to do is accept Jesus into your hearts and you will be a part of this family. Because the Bible says that when we accept Jesus into his heart, his spirit comes into us and it fills us with his victory. Our shortcomings are no more and we have him. And we have him. So as a symbol of that, we're going to partake in communion. This was the, the, the last supper was the event where Jesus said, be one with me. Be one with me. So as we partake in communion, we are saying that over our lives, that we are to be one with him. The way communion works here is we, we come through the middle. You guys will leave in the middle. We'll start in the front and we'll move to the back, come through the middle, circle around. And you can return to your chair on the outsides. But here's where I really want to challenge some of you here in this place tonight. Or this morning. Sorry, I'm used to youth. It's always nighttime with youth. That if you don't feel like you're there, if you don't feel like you're there, our prayer team is going to be up here. And they're going to be on the sides. And, and, and our prayer team is here to pray with you and to come alongside you. And to show that you are in a family. And to show that you are in a family. So dear Heavenly Father, I thank you so much that you sent your son to die on a cross. Though we were sinners, he still died. And Lord, on the third day, he rose victorious and he defeated death so lord now we walk through this world and there is nothing that can defeat us there is nothing that can steal your victory from us it doesn't matter what our family was it doesn't matter how insecure i am it doesn't matter who i'm comparing myself to it doesn't matter where i'm broken it doesn't matter where i failed because i have your victory in jesus lord so we we shout your name, Jesus, when we worship you here in this place, in this moment, because we are a part of your family and your goodness. So, Lord, thank you so much for that. Lord, thank you for your body. Thank you for your blood. Thank you for the marriage that we have with you, Lord. And we lift this all up in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks again for being here with us today. If God is doing something in your life or you're looking for ways to get connected, we want to help. You can find info about groups, teams, and other things happening at onechapel.com slash welcome. You can subscribe to future messages from One Chapel on your favorite podcast player. And of course, you're invited to services every Sunday morning at 9.30 and 11.30. Have a great week.